Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built. And we are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and myself. Feel free to connect with us on social media at LonghornPod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week, and I'm joined by Adele's dietitian, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Oh, uh, I wish I was as lean and 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 trim and thin as Adele is looking. She's gone the opposite, uh, as I have in in, in quarantine. Um, those those pictures that surface of her looking good. I was like, hello. Um, she was beautiful before as well. But uh, yeah, I'm doing good, Gerald. How are you? I'm I'm fantastic. I'm doing really good. Um. We did uh, we did leftovers from Taco Tuesday yesterday for dinner today, mm. and I think my son tried to eat his body weight in uh, in beans, which was uh, actually really fun to watch. It was really really a good time. The kid ate basically a full can of refried <laughs> beans. It's really impressive. Happy Cinco de Mayo, <laughs> day late. So we are here to do yet another one of our Mount Rushmores. We're burning through them. We're, we're definitely in the latter half of things, and we've. Landed on the baseball team, and, and the baseball team, the baseball program. Kyle has a lot of uh, a lot of nuance to it, and, and we're we're probably going to spend way too much time because that's what we end up doing. Uh, is spend way too much time on this, but the first thing we have to do is that there is a Mount Rushmore exclusively for Texas baseball coaches, right? All four of the coaches preceding David Pierce would end up on any other program's Mount Rushmore. There's no two ways around that. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think for almost, you could probably make a case that in their era, they were each, I mean, they all all won National Coach of the Year awards, but I mean, you could make a case that, that they could potentially fill out some percentage, uh, if not at least half or three fourths of a, of a you know all time coaching Rushmore. It's it's pretty incredible when you think about um, the the hundred and five year period basically that preceded David Pierce. All four of the co- four remember that number I just said four coaches in a hundred and five years. All four of them in the Hall of Fame. There's 34 coaches in the College Baseball Hall of Fame. Texas has over 10% uh, of those that have made it in all total who've made it in. Um, I, I think it's tough, right? We think about football. We had, you know, we went eight deep that time, and we had two coaches uh, who, who rightfully belonged in there. We talked about Rick Barnes um, being just on, on the outside for the basketball. Um, we certainly talked about Judy Conrad um, being there for for the women's basketball team. Um, and, and, you know, uh, I think you, you, could, you, would, you would take up so much of your Rushmore trying to do coaches in there that I say we just – let's get it out of the way. Sorry, Coach Pierce. If it's a four-person list and there's five coaches in the past 110 years, you're the odd man out. Um, but, you know, starting all the way back, 1911, Uncle Billy, uh, Billy Dish, um, you know, uh, one of the 11 college baseball did a Hall of Fame and they did veterans. They just threw people pre-1947 and there's only 11 veterans. And one of those, of course, is uh, Billy Dish, you know, kind of 
held all the original coaching records back in the day when they didn't play a ton of games, got to 500 wins uh, in 29 years, never had a losing season, just a uh, 22 conference championships in 29 years. Um, there weren't national champions pre 1947, um, which again, he finished well before that, or he probably would have had, I don't know, five, six, seven, uh, that you could add. Maybe Aggies would add that on their stadium, but we're not going to because this baseball program we're going to talk about is already by far the gold standard. What we hope football will be. That's what Texas baseball is in every metric. They are, they're pretty much, if not number one, they're number two all across the board. So starting with uncle Billy on the coaching Mount Rushmore. The guy's name is 50% of the field, right? Uh, and the next the next guy, I mean, obviously we're going to talk about all four, is the other guy whose name is on the stadium, Bib Falk. Uh, coached Texas from 1940 to 1967. He was in the second class of the College Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, but he made the inaugural College World Series. Like, that's a cool thing to say, right? Um <laughs> And the cool thing that you follow up with is that they he skipped the next year because players had too many job and family obligations. Grown men playing baseball. That That is probably – there's like three stats peppered into these notes that we're going to talk about today, that, that facts that are just blow my mind. That might be number one. Like literally they were conference champions. I think they were undefeated conference champions in 1948, which would have guaranteed them a spot in the, the eight-team College World Series. And they're like, ah, nah, guys are just out of the war. You know, they got kids and wives they have to support. They can't give up their summer jobs, like which is just – it just shows you in 50 years, uh, 60 years, how far – uh, college sports have come, but sorry, I, that that's one of my favorite anecdotes. I didn't want to skip that one, and that likely cost them a three peat, right? Because they won forty nine and fifty national championships. Right. So if they showed up in forty eight, they probably would have uh, would have made it there as well. Five other top three finishes, uh, twenty Southwest Conference championships as a player was an undefeated pitcher in three seasons for the Longhorns. Uh, and this is an interesting one. Replace Shoeless Joe Jackson for the uh, Black Sox after the 1919 scandal. So a uh, storied past yeah. for uh, for Bib Falk. Coach Falk is, is so interesting because he was, you know, he loved the Uncle Billy we just talked about and uh, basically was such a great player while at UT, um, went to the majors. He was a rookie on that team. Um, when, when, you know, the, the scandal that I'm sure you're all familiar with, with the fixing of the world series with the black Sox, um, he was the guy who immediately took over left field for Shoeless Joe. Um, and you know, had a, had a pretty decent career. As soon as his career ended, he came over and took over, um, the reins from, uh, Billy Dish, but this just goes to show you the reason they're so linked on the stadium side. Dish stayed on as an assistant for I think two, three, four years um, under Falk to you know help him show him the coaching uh, ropes, but uh, he very quickly made it his own. That twenty and twenty-five years, twenty conference championships in twenty-five years is is silly. That's a that's a pretty solid clip. So uh, I'll take I'll take this next one so you can you can bring us home on the coaches, Kyle. That feels uh, like what your wishes would be. Cliff Gustafson. I always struggle with the Gustafson name, uh, <laughs> but from 1968 to 1996 uh, was at the helm for the Longhorns, and he was in the inaugural 10-person college baseball Hall of Fame class. This, like, when you put this in there in our show notes, I was like, this has got to be a typo. 1,466 wins to just 377 losses and two ties. The 13 most, 
13th most wins all time in college baseball and basically 80% when 0.792 winning percentage the highest in division one history uh, two nat- natties under his belt 75 and 83 again had four other top three finishes 22 southwest tournament or southwest conference champions 11 tournament championships and has again the all-time record 17 college world series appearances like Coach Gustafson is a man among men when we look at this uh, this Rushmore. I mean, really crazy. That number, they played a lot more games in that era. Like, he was there, as, I mean, not in the beginning of his career, but especially that, like, late 70s, early 80s. Teams would play tons and tons and tons of games, just whoever they could get a season. Um, but he won all the ones in front of him. But really, when you look at Division One only, because a lot of the people – the 12 people higher than him on the wins list, you know, like at least half of them are from schools you've never heard of, like D3 or whatever, which credit to them uh, as well, not taking anything away, but from Division One, by far the highest winning percentage in, in Division One college baseball history. Um, just an incredible coach to bridge that, bridge that gap into modernity, and he actually lost one, uh, one of those uh, college World Series finals to the the next man who became the coach uh, left Cal State Fullerton multi time national champion came to the University of Texas of course we're talking about Uncle Augie um, man I love Augie Garrido that's modernity of course that's my coach that's the uh, you know the uh, I love Coach Pierce but that's the the baseball coach I most closely associate with my horns um garrido uh obviously passed away a few years ago we've talked about in the podcast um just the the legacy he's had he's already in the college baseball hall of fame himself he had two uh national championships 02 and 04 um that whole stretch was four straight college world series appearance excuse me appearances and 15 ncaa regional appearances um just was a um a coach who knew how to get it done. Uh, you can see that he was the first coach to ever make it to 1800 wins. Um, and, and Gerald, my favorite part about that is you called out is that, uh, win number 1800, he beat who to get, to get there. Uh, little brother in the North. That's, that's right. Oh, who, um, beat the, the Sooners five to zero to get his 1800th game, uh, 1800 win, excuse me. First coach to ever do that six time big 12 coach of the year, five time big 12 tournament champion, seven time big 12 regular season champion left the Longhorns, um, an incredible state, um, left the legacy strong, um, from those three guys we just, uh, mentioned. And then of course, coach Pierce came in. So that all said, we had to make a separate Rushmore. That was just those coaches. There's no debate about who should be in it. It's four utter icons in just baseball history, not only college baseball history, but the, the baseball in the state of Texas. They've had such an outsized impact on, on the state, the game, the school, everything. So um, I say we kind of put a pin. Everyone agrees there will be no um, argument. I don't can't imagine there. And get right into the stuff that we think people are going to get mad at us for. Yep. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's let's make a mad. So, um, again, there's a lot of Texas baseball all up and down college baseball history. It, it is stitched into the fabric, I'll say, of college baseball history. There is a, There are a lot of burnt orange strings there. When we talk about it, I'm going to take that sewing metaphor to its logical conclusion. So, um, what we'll do is we're going to start – we're gonna just going to start naming pitchers because pitchers dominate Texas, uh, Texas's legacy in college baseball. Um, the guy that, that uh, is the first up, and this may be a controversial uh, first inclusion or first – 
mention, but left-handed pitcher Greg Swindell, I was in the third Hall of Fame class, um, College Baseball Hall of Fame class, was the 1985 Player of the Year, so he meets the, at least that standard that we've established with our uh, with our previous Rushmores. Winning a National Player of the Year award kind of gets you in the conversation. Uh, so that is, again, a massive, uh, massive accomplishment. Three-time All-American, three-time All-Conference from 84 uh, through 86. 43 and 8 over his career with a 192 ERA. Uh, consecutive College World Series runner ups, three time conference championships. Holds the school record for wins in a season in 19, strikeouts in a season 204. Wow. Shutouts in a season six. And all of that in just 172 innings pitched. Uh, career records as well 501 strikeouts and 14 shutouts, which is an NCAA record for his career through two no hitters, 184, 185. He also did a little duty as a closer, 13 saves, and was the second overall pick in my favorite year of all history, 1986. <laughs> um, I think it's crazy. Like, he had a, a very good career he's you know uh, kind of a became a, a craftier southpaw um at the end of his career just sustained it. i think he played 17 major league seasons um just had a you know as good a career as anyone could hope for ever of course there's there's one guy we'll talk about probably here who had a better um pro career um than than him um but i don't know that anyone maybe in college you know history um had a had a better college pitching career um than than greg swindell you look at texas's records and you know you think of a guy again we'll just say his name talk about roger clemens as the power pitcher striker outer um swindell holds the the um no pitcher besides him has ever uh gone above 176 he got 180 and 204 i mean he's he's just way above everybody else in strikeouts i mean he's he's good eras in the all-time season um you know, list. He's, he just, he, he did it all. Um, and was just a pitcher that, like I said, that power lefty who, who people did not know what to do with. Um, it's crazy. He won that, that baseball writers player there in 85. If it hadn't been for Will Clark with that legendary Mississippi state team that also had Rafael Palmero on it. Um, it, that crazy, crazy team where Will Clark put up one of, if not probably the best offensive season in the history of college baseball the same year. So they basically split uh, the awards. And I think Swindell came in second. He was a finalist, certainly, um, for the the Golden Spikes, which is the other awards. I think we'll move in now to, I think, the second one here. I'm going to take um, I'm going to take Burt Hooten as our, our second pick here as a lock, and we could start arguing after this, but I mean, a guy who was in the, the College Baseball Hall of Fame, and again, they, they, they started that in 2006, so they had to go backwards, and so it, it tells you something, right, the guys that are in the first class, second class, third class, because they were only about 10-person classes, and oftentimes those are split between players and coaches. So both Swindell and Burt Hooten were in that third ever class. So say about the top 20 players in to the College uh, Baseball Hall of Fame, which I think says something. Also a three-time All-American, three-time All-Conference. Um, holds, you know, a lot of the other records that Swindell doesn't for career. Has the lowest ERA at 1.14, uh, an opponent batting average of, of 1.58, and his strikeouts per nine were actually um, even edged out a little bit um, of Swindell. He couldn't didn't go quite the uh, the distance as as much as as Greg Swindell did, but the 11.94 strikeouts per nine, and in fact also had the single game strikeout record when he threw 19. Um, 
the thing that's crazy, he had 13 career shutouts. Most uh, most schools at Legion, he's, you just heard us say Swindell was number one all-time in NCAA. Number two all-time in NCAA in a single season is Bert Hooten. Um, a a 35-3 and three career record for him. Just really incredible. And the thing in 1971, just this wild, crazy season he had, he was so close to not throwing not only one, but two perfect games. Um, he had two errors that his team committed in the field against Sam Houston, but otherwise had no walks and no hits allowed. Um, and then the one that I can only imagine how frustrating it is. There was a game against Texas tech that was scheduled to originally be a seven inning game. However, it was tied in regulation went all the way to be a 13 inning game. He threw a 13 inning one hitter, but through eight innings in a seven inning scheduled game had a perfect game. Doesn't go on the record books because you have to close it out, but a 13 inning, one hitter, just incredible. Two of the the, the best gems uh, of all time, and, and UT's only had one perfect game in their history, and he was so close to two of them in the same season, which obviously segues into why he was the second overall pick in 1971 and went on to have a really good career himself. Like I get, I get frustrated when I like when I can't like when my charger pulls out of my phone, right? Like that, I get frustrated when that happens. Can you imagine how frustrating? It would be to go for eight perfect and then have it broken up. Like, that would be just uh, so, so, so frustrating. So, we've got, like, we've got a weird situation because there are a litany of Hall of Famers throughout the rest. Eleven. Uh, There's eleven Hall of Famers from, from, from UT. There's, like, 50 dudes in the Hall of Fame. So there are nine additional Hall of Famers that we've got to sort through at this point. So we could go all pitchers because that's a real thing. We've also got a guy like Brooks Kieschnick who was not only a pitcher but was also a hitter, right? Like that's a thing that we have to talk about. We haven't even talked about Houston Street who isn't in the Hall of Fame yet but probably will end up there. Uh, if I, I would assume so, uh, holding – career records and saves and his performance in the world series is legendary, uh, Dressendorfer. Like there's, there's like a, we could spend literally hours and hours and hours adjudicating this castle. So do we want to go like pitchers separate? Do we want to go like, how do we want to do this? Like, how do we want to manage this? I, I'm going to make a controversial statement here and I'm going to say we did eight for football um we each drafted our own we realized that wasn't the best format but we did eight and i think it is more um appropriate even though you have you know smaller you have 22 guys who play uh in football versus you know nine at any given time um in in baseball um i i think the baseball team is a deeper more there's more guys who, who should be on this rush more. So because of that, I say we, we split it. Let's do pitchers and then let's do, let's do hitters. And, and I'll tell you this, we are going to make some people mad just with the pitchers. Even if we, and I, and I'm going to cheat here. Cause you know, I, I, I want to get as many guys as I can. I say we take uh, Brooks Kieschnick and put him with the fielders because he played in the pro level, though he actually played both. He was drafted and played initially um, in, in, in the field. Um, and, and keep going down the list with pitchers um, so that we can get uh, we can get the debate going here um, and, and get as close to four as we can because it's gonna be hard if not I think there's there's a lot to be uh, lot to be said for that so um, I guess we'll just move on to the guy that 
that I want to mention. Uh, Houston Street is a guy that, like, he is for, like, our generation of Texas uh, baseball fans and people of, of our our ilk and the people surrounding probably one of the one of the biggest names in Texas baseball. I mean, three time All American, three time All Conference player. Like the 2002 College World Series is literally legendary. Like he has a save in all four of the wins in the College World Series, uh, which was a big chunk of his, or not a big chunk of his, but about 10 percent of his school record for career saves with 41. Like Houston Street. We talked about in the softball um, Rushmore last week, but like when when he came up in that World Series, it was just like absolutely lights out. Like you knew, like you were like, all right, bringing in the Sandman. No, no chances. Like when he came up, it was it was it was there, and he's the only player to ever record four saves in a college world series. He was again named to the all time college world series team. I think he was named to the all decade team for the college world series as well. Like just Houston street is that dude for, for guys of our age. Yeah. The, the closer role, not something that's, you know, always been a specialty in college baseball. Like we, you heard us say earlier, our sixth all time list is Greg Swindell. Cause it's like, Oh, this is a close one. Um, just get your best guy back out there. If he didn't start the game, get him back out there to close it out. Um, street was a little bit different because he came in and he, he could have been a starter certainly um but he started refining his skill set because he was so good in short bursts he was unhittable um and, and and obviously parlayed that into a multiple-time all-star and and great uh pro career but i think it's a great pick i think when you look at the history of college baseball closers i i would i would be very hard-pressed to imagine you could find anyone who's ever done it better um than houston street he, again, like you said, kind of popularized closers, uh, at least in modern college baseball. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give names because we've done three in the pitchers and there's still like four or five big, 19. Yeah, big <laughs> names. Um, I, and we can dive in a little bit of their credentials, but I'm going to give names first who could be this four spot. We have Kirk Dressendorfer, Rick Wortham, uh, Bobby Lane, maybe you heard of him, James Street, Houston's dad, uh, Taylor Youngman. Uh, Roger Clemens. Some people, I think, maybe have heard of him. I'm going to throw Calvin Schiraldi in there because he was incredible. And and again, we said Brooks Kieschnick. We're we're pulling out of the uh, the pitching uh, realm. He's he's a unique case because he is the single best um, multi-purpose right uh, field and pitcher that's ever played in the history of college baseball. And I'll fight anyone who says otherwise. But I'm going to cheat and put him in the field players. Um, so can we do can we do this because Bobby Lane and James Street are already on a Rushmore? Do we want to free up their spots? Because they were both part of our football Rushmore. So do we want to uh, say you've been honored, and we know that. Bobby Lane, All-American at baseball. James Street, All-American twice at baseball in addition to his football accomplishments. I, I, that's perfectly fine. I'm fine leaving them off, but I'm not fine, you know, skipping over their accomplishments, right? Because I think it's important. Bobby Lane is a four-time All-Conference because he was in that weird age where World War II allowed him to start as a freshman. So he's one of the rare guys who came in day one, started as a starting pitcher, as an 18 year old, that didn't used to happen, uh, back then. Um, but the thing with him that's most incredible, I mean, he, he threw UT's first and second ever no hitters and had 14 plus strikeouts in each of those in the same year. Um, he also went 28 and O in conference. He never lost a conference game, 28 and O 28 wins is still by far, um, the school record for conference wins zero losses by far, um, the lowest uh, loss total. Um, but just incredible, right? Like when you're playing the, the teams you hate the most in the Southwest Conference, Bobby Lane never lost one. I mean, just 
should not be overlooked. He he was could have easily gone pro, and I think he actually played a little semi-pro ball before he went to the NFL in baseball and was just, you know, he literally could have picked his poison there, which one he wanted to do for the rest of his life. And, and James Street is another guy like that, right, who um, because they're so legendary in football, people don't talk about it all the time, but – he was a two-time, uh, second-team All-American, two, three-time All-Conference, uh, twenty-nine and eight as a pitcher, through a one-walk no-hitter in nineteen sixty-nine. And you mentioned it; you alluded to it before. He is the only pitcher in University of Texas history to throw a perfect game, and I love that it's against Texas Tech because <laughs> informal rivalries take you back a few weeks. Not a huge fan of those friends from Lubbock, so. Uh, Got to mention James Street as a, as a legend that, again, if they weren't already honored in one of these podcasts, I would I would fight for it. That's uh, So, all right, I'm perfectly fine with that. I just want to point out, since you threw a Texas Tech shade, do you know all these? We're talking about all these UT players in the College Baseball Hall of Fame. Do you know what city the College Baseball Hall of Fame is in? Is it in Lubbock? It is in Lubbock, Texas. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't know how they swung that, to be honest. I think it's on the campus, but uh, somehow. Because it's a dry county. I guess maybe that, that makes sense. But um, all right, so so all right, so we've we've narrowed it down, and I like that. I appreciate that. We're getting closer. I'm gonna make um, I'm gonna make my next cut off of this list. A guy who's an honorable mention. Um, I'm gonna go uh, to Taylor Youngman, a guy who could easily make this list. He won the 2011 Dick Hauser Trophy, which we haven't talked about that so far, and we will reference it. Um, but that is the that is the equivalent um, of the the Heisman, basically. Um, it. it it started in 1987. There isn't a true player of the year trophy that just rises above. There's between, like I said uh, earlier, I referenced the golden spikes, which started a little bit earlier. Um, but you know, that is, uh, this is kind of the singular one. They equal 50, 50, I'll say. Um, and we've had multiple winners of the Dick Hauser trophy, obviously, but Taylor Youngman um, won that in 2011, a two time all American um, first round pick in 2011, a freshman all American threw a complete game in that, uh, that uh, LSU College World Series got our only win against them that year when we we came runners up. Um, a- again, as a freshman, just just came in and, and was really great. Had a couple really nasty pitches that projected so well to the next level, and, and obviously um, drafted had a pretty good career. Uh, I think he's still going actually, um, but um, but yeah. So I mean, a guy who I hate to cut, and on a lot of teams that's a lock. But I'm going to say. 2011 was an incredible, incredible year for him. He had two All-American years, 09 and 11, but there are some guys who who strung it together for a better career, and I'm going to give the advantage to the career over the single season. I think in that vein, then, a guy that we could probably set to the side, uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to not have this guy on your, your pitcher's uh, Rushmore, but Roger Clemens probably has a bigger name in the pros than he does in college. Like, like, like as when we talk about famous alums, you can't really discount Roger Clemens, but you know, he had a great career at Texas, but when we look at the careers of the other guys that are left that were, we're going to have to leave one of two hall of famers out on this. And so Roger Clemens, two time all American 35 consecutive shutout innings in the 82 postseason, which is uh, an NCAA record for regular and or postseason. Uh, there was a player of the year award named after him, uh, which was discontinued for some reason. I'm not sure in 2008. Uh, and then again, he went on to a much, uh, much greater career in the professional ranks. 11 time all-star was the MVP in 86. Uh, 
only player in history to win more than five Cy Young awards. He sits at seven, if memory serves correctly. So, like, again, great ambassador for the university. Loves, loves, loves the University of Texas. I wish he had some more kids to send to the baseball program. But based on what he did while on the 40 acres, he's somebody that when you compare him to the two that are left, got to kind of set him aside. Guys, make sure you direct your tweets at uh, GH Goodrich. Um, you know all the hate tweets. Let it flow directly. Come to, on with directly, it. I'll you so fast. <laughs> directly to him. This is controversial, right? Like I was thinking about this when we talk about um, players who had a a better professional career from the University of Texas. Like uh, you could argue, maybe Kevin Durant could get more MVPs, and so could have the better career but you know Clemens also had three uh you know uh, championships that he won uh in 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 the pros Slater Martin won a bunch of championships um but didn't have as many all-stars obviously um there's not really a softball professional league that, that equates quite as well um women's basketball again not not quite that professional level I don't know that anyone out of VY uh, Earl, Earl's maybe Earl's yeah. close. Earl's close. Um, again, we talked about Street. Uh, Bobby Rick, Lane, James Rick, Street could be. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was gonna say. I think I think you throw throw Lane in there. I don't think Colt or, or or Ricky get it. I really think it's like Nobis, Earl, or Durant are the only players that we've talked about so far. And maybe we'll get in like golf to someone who's who's more, but you know, he might be our single greatest, most successful at the next level player of all time. And we're leaving him off. And I, 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 I can't like stomach that, but I understand it's the right, it's the right call by the parameters we put in place and rocket. If you have a problem with it, just come on a podcast. We'll talk it out on air. Happy to have you. Um, <laughs> and honestly, I mean, you got to get a boost the, the same way Johnny Johnson does. The more kids you get who come and excel at the university of Texas, um, y- you have to, you have to get some bump for that, right? Your, your lineage, you know, clause, is that a multiplier? I don't know, Gerald, this one's tough as heck for me. We'll name family tickets to the state park after you, Roger, because you brought so many kids to the program. <laughs> the only thing I, I will say is, is even though he was a two-time All-American and he was a you know a first-round pick, on that rotation, that year in the 1983 championship team, Calvin Schiraldi was the number one day one pitcher. You know, he was the the guy and they did a, a rotation, you know, in, in Omaha where it was Schiraldi, Clemens, Schiraldi, uh, Capel. Clemens. So it's it's Chiraldi twice, and Clemens won, you know, had the game winning in his second time, but Chiraldi had already thrown twice. In that regional rotation, it was Chiraldi, Clemens, Capel. They threw Killingsworth in there, and uh, LeBay, who, goodness, talk about your all. That's another podcast about bringing a dude from nowhere and, and shutting out one of the greatest offenses of all time, anyways. Um, and then Chiraldi again, the only guy who pitched twice in the regional. So Calvin Chiraldi was the guy that Coach Gustafson um, was going first. Not that Clemens was bad. It's just that was an embarrassment of wealth on that team. So it's almost like being an elite player on an elite team hurt him because there was just so much talent. That's probably the single most loaded pitching class I've ever seen. So don't hate us, Rocket. I'm sorry. It's probably – I I didn't sleep this week. Toughest decision I've made since the – since since the COVID. <laughs> okay, so that leaves us with two names on our list. Kyle, uh, Kirk Dressendorfer, right-hand pitcher, fourth class of the College Baseball Hall of Fame, three-time All-American, three-time All-Conference, 88 through 90, three-time uh, Southwest Conference MVP, 
single season record for 15 complete games. 45 and 8 with a 185 ERA, struck out 356. Folks, Rick Wortham, College Baseball Hall of Fame, the next year, All American in 76, three time All Conference 73 to 76, uh, got a national championship in 1975 and pitched a four hitter in the title game. 50 and 7 on his career, the first 50 game winner in NCAA history. 12 career shutouts as number three on the NCAA board, and he's second all time in strikeouts with 481. And this little factoid currently <laughs> serves as the executive director of the Texas Beef Council. <sighs> I almost feel like the Beef Council puts him over. I mean, Dressendorfer was a three-time All-American versus Wortham, who I believe, and I, I couldn't believe looking at this, only was a one-time, for at least first team. He, he must have had a second or third team in there, but in 76. Um, but but was the, the you know, in that 1975, was the, the ace on that uh, championship team and pitched a four-hitter in the decisive title game. So, I mean... Uh, this this again comes up to you. Give it to a guy who no no shame to him won forty five games or a guy who won fifty again the first to ever win fifty in college baseball history. Um, they're each in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you're you're splitting hairs here. I love the the stat that if we put Wortham in the the all time NCAA history career shutouts list, we will have numbers one, two, and three on our Rushmore. But again. Uh, Dressendorfer just, you know, besides being a wonderful name, uh, you know, had an incredible year where he set the, the, the record with 15 complete games, went out there and just struck out, you know, tons of guys. Like, I'm slightly leaning Rick Wortham. I mean, it, w- w- just the national championship gives you the little bump, I think, being the ace on that team. Where, where's your head at, Gerald? That I was leading Wortham as well. It's hard to leave a three-time All-American off the list, but for me, the the 75 National Championship and like holding NCAA records, I think for me, puts him over the top. Yeah, I mean, you can you can go. Neither of them had the 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 post you know career in the in the MLB that they it seemed like they would. So that's kind of a wash. I, I the the one thing I'll, I'll also give to Rich Wortham is that he defeated. Uh, Dennis Martinez, a legend um, in his own right from in Team Nicaragua in the uh, the like amateur baseball World Series. Team USA uh, had never won a gold in that competition. It seemed like um, I don't know if we can take it seriously or what, but won the first gold. So a guy who wins, throw him out there. He, I think that was his freshman year. Um, knows how to win the biggest stage. Like I, I agree. I think it goes to Wortham. Okay, so that that feels good. Love it. So now we're we've we've gone over our budgeted time, but we're having good discussion. Uh, we've got to move over to the the hitters now, right? Um, and I think that conversation, at least in my mind, starts and ends with Brooke Hishnick, right? Like that that conversation uh, begins and ends there. I was in the inaugural Hall of Fame class. Um, only the only player in NCAA history to win the Dick Hauser Trophy twice. Uh, three-time All-America, three-time All-Conference, three-time Southwest Conference MVP, top 10 in 11 different categories on the school records, uh, holds the school record for slugging, uh, third in RBIs and total bases. Uh, as a pitcher, 34-8, and eight, uh, which is really incredible. As a hitter, hit 360 with 43 home runs, second all-time, and 215 RBIs. 
1993 season hit um in the 1993 season he hit four uh, 19 home runs uh and won 16 games um like it, when you talk about utility players the conversation begins and ends with him the sixth best all-time home run hitting season in the same year you have the third most wins in the history of again like Think about UT's program, right? They have, you know, 3,500-plus wins, no other um, school. And I, I don't think anyone's over 3,000 in Division One. I. I think Fordham is, is number one. Um, but they also have played for, like, 300 years. But, uh, I mean, Texas just wins games. This storied program, bar none. And you have a guy who is just in every category, every record book, every side of the ball. Like if, if there was a, 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 you know, uh, sunflower seed spitting statistic, I promise he would have been one of the four best to ever do it in the history of UT. Just, just an unbelievable guy, a guy who's, uh, liked a couple of our tweets on Twitter. I'm not saying that that gets you extra points, but it gets you extra points, guys, other hall of famers who may not interact with us on the social medias, but Brooks, I mean, what a legend. Can, can we also say he opened a bar in San Antonio when he was done playing with uh, Charlie Robinson? I mean, come on. Like, the guy is just cool. Number one. Easy. Easy. Easy in. Uh, next easy in for us, I think, is Keith Moreland. Uh, again, College Baseball Hall of Famer, three-time All-America, three-time All-Conference. Get tired of saying that. Uh, was the co-captain of the 73 championship team, uh, and he led three different teams to College World Series berths. Uh, hit 410. In 1975, is a career 388 hitter, which is third all time. Uh, the thankfully we don't have a ton of batters to to sort through. Really, there's four names that jumped at the top. Yeah, I mean, and Moreland also, you know, killing it with uh, with Swindell on the uh, the play by play for Longhorn Network. There there are four names who rose above. Um, I'm going to go out of order here and, and start cutting off the names that just narrowly missed because there's some there's some really cool. Um, and, and wonderful and, and fun players in here, um, starting with left fielder Calvin Murray, who's um, our all-time career leader in steals, also has seasons number one, two, and three all-time in his three uh, varsity seasons. Uh, you may know that last name. His uh, brother was the quarterback at A&M, um, and then his nephew, um, Kyler Murray, uh, went on to, to do some things, I guess, there. But Calvin did it at UT, probably the fastest player to ever um, put on put on spikes, uh, I think, without a doubt, at the university. F- fan favorite, uh, Billy Bates, was the second baseman, two-time All-American, fighting in at five foot seven. Um, this I had to talk about Billy Bates just to talk about this fact, Gerald. This is probably my other favorite anecdote. He got drafted by the Reds. He was mainly a pinch runner because he was also lightning fast. Um, and he was just not the biggest guy. And he was could do that really well. Um, because of that, they did a promotion in the offseason with the Cincinnati Zoo. They brought a cheetah from the zoo. And he raced a cheetah. They gave him a five-second head start. But he raced a cheetah and won. There is a caveat, of course. The cheetah 
was following and closing the gap very quickly. His hat flew off because he was running so hard that Cheetah got distracted by the hat and started chasing that instead of him. But that's just smart. That's playing to your advantages. So uh, Billy Bates gets the the the. He's on our Mount Rushmore of of baseball anecdotes, uh, without a doubt. Um, it doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile when he was winning. <laughs> but I mean, there's there's certainly no one else I know of um, from UT baseball who's ever beat a Cheetah. Um, Any other baseball team? Yeah. Except, uh, yeah, except maybe the, you know, the, the cheating uh, Aggies or Sooners. But that's <laughs> it's just a good joke. Um, so two outfielders who uh, fans probably will get in our mentions, and I'd love for you to make your case. Um, guys who I love. Um, but Drew Stubbs, um, the 05 kind of hero, the most recent hero um, in, in Texas baseball in that 05 championship team, and Mark Payton, uh, who in 2013, um, kind of after we left, was um, our best our best hitter um, hit 393 in 2013. Just a, a really great outfielder. Kyle Russell, a guy, come on, 28 home runs, single season record, our career home run leader. Um, it, it, it could make, again, a lot of Mount Rushmore's. He's just missing uh, out. And then uh, there, there, there's one guy here, Gerald, that, that you and I love. And I'll let you have him because I've taken – all the other honorable mentions, but I'll, I'll say my last one before him is David Denny, who um, is the UT career leader in hits, doubles, RBIs, um, and played on that 83 championship team. And I almost tried a way to, to weasel him in um, above the other four guys, just because, I mean, you, you cannot argue with checking all of those boxes. It's hard to leave somebody that owns three, uh, three school records off of this list, but that just tells you how legendary Texas baseball is. Um, the guy with the uh, perhaps my favorite hook'em horns in school history, maybe one of the top three hook'em horns ever in school history, I would say. Cody Clemens, uh, Big 12 Player of the Year, All-American in 2018, was the runner-up for the Golden Spikes and the Dick Hauser Award. 24 home runs in that season. Uh, he had a massive jump from season to season. Like He was okay. And then his last season at Texas was like, oh, oh, this guy, this guy, right? And then again, uh, in the in the postseason, playing your rival, cranks a home run, staring the entire dugout in the face as he runs to home, flashing the hook'em horns. I want to get that tattooed across my chest, Tupac style. Like that's <laughs> how much I love that moment. But do, do you mean like him rounding the base? Like the, the tattoo will go across the... Ch- I like that. Like gifts yeah. of tattoos. That's nice. Um, I really I'll just want... i let you figure out what the two plates will be in that. In that. <laughs> I, I really honestly just wanted you to have to badmouth the whole Clemens family. I didn't want to say it. But no, if you took seasons, just moments, seasons, I think maybe you could make a case to squeeze both dad and son in. Cody Clemens, you know, not the career, but the senior. That season was just special um, because that's the most overachieving team in Texas baseball history. It was one there's always been outsized expectations that's one that was written off um and then came out of nowhere and honestly they didn't score a lot of runs most of the runs seemed to come from us like "Uh, cody can you can you do that for okay good thank you thank you um so you know tough to leave off all of those guys but now let's talk about the guys that did make it so i'm going to start uh here with uh dave chalk who again we're we're joining brooks kishna keith moreland um dave chalk again third baseman he's in the college baseball hall of fame He's a three-time All-American, 69-72, a four-time All-Conference player, um, four consecutive Southwest titles, three consec- or three out of four of those um, College World Series 
Berths was the 10th overall pick in 1972, went on to a great career multi-time MLB All-Star. He's a guy who never was the fastest guy in his team, never had the most power. I don't know at any level, maybe high school, um, but in college and certainly in the pros, but was able to just carve out a career because he was wildly consistent. He just knew he was a smart baseball player, knew how to do everything right. He ends up on a lot of our um, all-time uh, list just because he was sustained greatness. Um, he knew how to put balls in play. He knew how to just you know drive guys in timely, was just a rock um, on, on that team that, again, won four uh, Southwest Conference titles. So because of that, he he made the College Baseball Hall of Fame. And because of all of that, he makes our Mount Rushmore, Dave Chalk. And then the last one, outfielder Scott Bryant won the, again, that that caveat or that uh, criteria. 1989 Dick Hauser Trophy winner was an Amer- All-American in that same year. Uh, Texas did not make it over the final hump, but in 89 they went to the title game. Uh, hold season records for doubles total bases and RBIs and Kyle I feel like you're chomping at the bit to share this is this is probably the best factoid the best um the best little uh, anecdote you could toss in here I mean this is just so Texas, so UT. Like I just love this. Also I love to think about as we watch like the Jordan doc and, and think about back then what guys did with their fitness regime and now he had a pregame ritual where he went to the old Whataburger on the drag uh, this is a quote from him the old Whataburger on the drag and got a cheeseburger and then with the players I got a Dr. Pepper and a BLT so this is out of his mouth he ate a BLT a che- a doctor or a BLT and a, a cheeseburger and drank a Dr Pepper before every game. Remember, he won the Heisman equivalent, the Dick Hauser Trophy in 1989 uh, as the best player in college baseball, and he did it all with a BLT, a Dr Pepper, and a Whataburger cheeseburger sitting inside his stomach. Just imagine if the guy had the you know incredible sports nutrition staff um, that uh, that UT now provides to the players. So that's it. We've got three mountains that we carved for <laughs> Texas baseball. We're dirty, filthy cheaters, but it's, we had to do it because there's just too much history. It's such too, a, too much history. It's such a cheesy cop out. And the one thing that the the other anecdote that I had saved, he did not make the Mount Rushmore. We discussed his name, but Gerald, you know the famous 1986 uh, baseball World Series. The, the Red Sox lose in heartbreaking fashion because first baseman Bill Buckner lets a ball roll through his legs. Do you know who the pitcher was on the mound who who, who threw the pitch that should have been fielded um, for that Red Sox team um, that Mookie Wilson hit that went through Bill Buckner's legs? I do not. It's Calvin Schiraldi. A guy, really? He could have had a World Series championship to his name, been the pitcher. He was sitting on the mound um, when that happened. So everything that's ever happened in the history uh, of baseball ties back to the University of Texas. So quickly now, we're going to uh, look at the burnt orange lenses. So Kyle, what's up? All right. So Gerald, uh, you know, we have uh, we have a couple things to talk about here. I want to start talking about uh, the the rivalry game. We, we, we referenced it a few times in this uh, segment earlier, but um, the Lone Star Showdown, could it be coming back? We, uh, we heard the Border Wars coming back, and, and I think folks just kind of said, hey, could that mean that other out-of-conference rivals who 
still have some hatred for each other and play their games online, uh, actually take it to the field. Um, and of course, we're talking about the Lone Star Showdown with the Texas A&M Aggies. UT football coach Tom Herman, he wants it. Um, Texas A&M athletic director Ross Bjork, uh, he's not so excited to, to, to try that. He's he's a little scared. Um, and then, Gerald, what did Chris Del Conte think about it? So Chris Del Conte has the best take on this is that um, rival. He basically said like rivalries that make your blood boil are what make college football great, which we all agree to that. However, he also said that they're building their schedule around teams with a national championship win in the modern era. And so you could consider the modern era like after the 70s or after integration or even in this case after World War II. <laughs> like it's so whatever. savage. It is so Get out savage. Of here. Give Chris Del Conte the, th- the the third verse on the Beyonce remix the Megan the Stallion. It's savage. It's, 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 oh gosh, like, that's such an incredible, devastating burn. Like, I don't know how you recover from that. I, I the, the only thing I can say is, um, Aggies have tried on, on Twitter and, and tried to, to downplay UT's achievements. There was one guy who said, you know, these recruits were in diapers the last time Texas, um, won it. And, and good friend of the podcast, Kyle Umlang came back and said, diapers hadn't, <laughs> disposable diapers hadn't been invented the last time Texas A&M won it. So, I mean, it's just, it's so Whoa. savage, so beautiful, and I love it. Um, there's no reason that we need to bring this back because they will forever, forever hold, not just the L, just all of the L's. God, there's so many of them, thousands uh, of L's that they have taken over the years, really masochist. So we talked about, in our earlier pod, the NFL draft uh, kind of results, and, and one thing that came out this week was the uh, the contract worth. So for the picks themselves, specifically combined twelve um, million dollars. The the uh, was not the most of any team. Certainly LSU uh, had a combined one hundred and twenty four million. A lot of that obviously is when you're a quarterback and you're drafted first. That was uh, that was more than all of our players combined. But um, Brandon Jones not hurting too much. Our first pick uh, making just a smidge under $5 million, uh, on his contract value. Of course, there's bonuses to be had. Uh, Devin DuVernay, a guy who Ravens fans cannot stop smiling, talking about um, $4.25 million. And Colin Johnson, again, feel bad for him. Just $3 million, $2.94 million. And there was some other news, I think, on how these guys will look, at least numerically, on Sundays, Gerald. Yeah, so so Brandon Jones for my Miami Dolphins. I'm actually claiming them again because they had two competent. <laughs> they've had a competent draft, and they have a coach that actually seems like he knows how to find his backside uh, with both hands, a flashlight, and a map. Uh, so Brandon Jones going to be rocking number 45 for the Miami Dolphins, uh, and Colin Johnson. I haven't seen Devin Duvernay's jersey number yet, but Colin Johnson got booted by the punter <laughs> and will rock number 19 in Jacksonville. That's, you know, we are the internet's foremost kicking and punting podcast, and, and we usually will ride for that. But that that ain't Mike Dixon. You know, they, there, are, there are only so many uh, punters who have that kind of clout. I do not think that anyone besides Mike Dixon should be able to kick Colin Johnson um, out of his number. I feel bad for him. He's already a rookie who's going to get hazed a bit. I, I think he might get hazed over that a little bit as well. 
so the last thing we've got to talk about, this was just, I was just perusing Twitter today and uh, got some incredible recruiting news from women's tennis. So the women's tennis team, uh, joining in on the five-star jamboree. So five-star tennis player, uh, Malakia Ropolo, Rapolo is what we're going with. Um, re- actually ended up reclassifying and joining the University of Texas early because she really couldn't find competition around her that would <laughs> let her train up to the level that she needed to. So she's just like, I'm going to get here early. She was the number 10 player nationally, the number two player in the state and region, according to the Texas Recruiting Network. Uh, that's a website for Texas, or not Texas, but uh, the Tennis Recruiting Network, which is the tennis recruiting site and uh she had 22 and 7 record overall as a senior and this is my favorite thing they record records wins and losses against other recruits she was 6 and 0 against other five stars 9 and 1 against four stars for a 15 and 1 record against the top talent that she played uh, I love it. My favorite thing that when you started telling that is I thought her last name was Ropolo and she was the the heir to the the uh, late night pizza uh, franchise. And, and in addition to just smashing aces all over people's faces, she also was icing people with slices. Um, so I uh, I will still be uh, Malika Rapulu's um, biggest fan. Um, but man, if she was from the Rup- uh, the Ropolo, I would also have to thank her for uh, getting me uh, through a lot of. Uh, downtown Sixth Street nights. <laughs> All right, Gerald. So um, we're going to end it with our best and favorite segment because we talk about things besides sports, you know, stuff we know about. Um, the Godzillatron. What are we watching? What are we taking in uh, during our, our times that, that may be coming to a close of the the, uh, the quarantine, COVID, um, working from home uh, days that we find ourselves in? Gerald, what are you, what are you watching? Uh, so I'm still plowing through Justified. Just finished up season three. Nice. Great, great TV show there. Uh, plowing through Scrubs, trying to do the rewatch with uh, with Zach and Donald, if you're not listening to uh, Fake Doctors, Real Friends, and a great podcast. And then I'm an audiobook guy. I do a lot of uh, work around the house. We're getting ready for baby number two to show up here within the next couple of months. And so rocking an audiobook while I, uh, while I work. And I tried to do a... I'm, I'm a science fiction guy. I'm a, I'm a kind of a nerd in that way. And I never read or listened to Dune. And Dune is apparently like the pinnacle of sci-fi uh, writing. And I'm going to go ahead and offend somebody right here. It is so freaking impenetrable in the first like 40, 50 pages. <laughs> like there are too many consonants and weird words. Like Frank Herbert, I'm sure, is a genius. And I wanted to read it before uh, Denley Villeneuve uh, makes the movie with Timothy Chalamet and Cal Drogo and all of these incredible actors, right? Uh, Denley Villeneuve made two of my favorite sci-fi movies of all time, probably the last 10, 15 years uh, in Blade Runner 2049 and Arrival. But like, I'm just, I, I'm just going to watch the movie. I'm just going to do it. I cannot do this. I'm done. It's just, I can't do it. You know, uh, it, that is like a, a huge totem that's, you know, been, I think it's 1965, the first one came out, that, that people are like, when will that become a movie? It's interesting. I have a book that I'm reading as well, uh, completely 
the opposite. I didn't choose to read it before it became a movie, but after reading it, realized that um, it may as well. I don't think it's quite as far along in production um, as, as Dune is. But uh, I have been reading uh, Eric Larson's Devil in the White City, um, which came out in 2003. I found out after, I'm not quite done with it yet, it's it's also dense, not Dune dense, but dense, um, about the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago, um, which is just one of the most fascinating things, just even Wikipedia, uh, that event and the amount of things that were invented or introduced to the world there, including the Ferris wheel, just so many crazy things. Um, and and the, it's a great backstory and all of that. But then also, while it lays this uh, huge fair that was like America's pride, it talks about America's first serial killer, H.H. H. Holmes, um, who who did his murdering uh, at that, that same time, at that same place. Um, and so just really an interesting story. Um, what I found out afterwards, however, is Leonardo DiCaprio actually bought the film rights to it in 2010. It's kind of sat for a little while, uh, but Marty's getting antsy with all this free time on his hands and, you know, really, uh, he, he just himself got done watching The Irishman. Um, so uh, he... he uh, uh, Leo is, is is bringing Marty in, and I, I don't know how far they are, but it's progressed. Um, I think starting in 2019, they've been working on uh, getting this thing outlined um, to become a, a film. So, you know, read that one as well, because it's pretty incredible to think that, you know, this could be the content DiCaprio slated to play. H.H. Uh, H. Holmes, our first serial killer, could be really wildly uh, interesting. Um, but just a, an interesting read, kind of historical, um, but but not, not too dry. Um, in, in the sense that sometimes, you know, it's it's like a history class. But I, I found it really, really interesting. Also, we finished up Marvelous Miss Maisel's third season, which, goodness, what incredibly snappy and fun and quick, witty writing that was. And, and my wife decided it's time. She finally wants to take on the big one. Um, she, you know, is going to load up our plate with some uh, prosciutto, mozzarella, some gabagool, uh, you know, uh, and we are going to watch the sopranos her favorite movies goodfellas i don't know why it's taken her this long um but she uh she's i think we're five episodes in already um and she is loving it and i i have seen it before so this is a rewatch for me but i am thrilled to share this experience with her so um if you hear me uh if you see me giving you the poly walnuts hook em horns inverted where he points at people um or you uh you say something i don't like and i give you oh hey oh oh uh, just know well, that set the dog off. Just know it comes from uh, it comes from Tony Soprano and crew. Shockingly, that's all we've got for you this <laughs> week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me stretching out podcasts on uh, on Slow News Weeks at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook em. Hook em. I'm so sorry, Roger Cole.